to get it done and to build something, you've got to go out and be ready to introduce yourself and shake a lot of hands and say, I am an art advisor, here I am, or whatever. Listen, you might not have the confidence to start there, but you know, it is a business to build relationships because you're listening to the Gangstar Creative Podcast, where we talk and share real strategies, real tactics, and real stories from me and my badass guests to help Gangstar creatives and artists like you thrive in both your business and life. And I'm your host, Ivana. I'm an artist, creative entrepreneur, speaker, and best-selling author. Are you ready to annihilate the status quo of the starving artist? If so, let's get it. What up, gangstars? It's your girl, Devana, and this week's guest is a power player in the art world. I have Maria Brito on the show, and she is an award-winning New York-based contemporary art advisor, curator, and the best-selling author of her new book, How Creativity Rules the World. She's actually a Harvard graduate who's originally from Venezuela, and she has a ton of accolades and accomplishments under her belt. She was selected by Complex Magazine as one of the 20 power players in the art world, uh, named by Art News as one of the visionaries who gets to shape the art world. She's also written for publications such as Entrepreneur, Huffington Post, Elle, Forbes, Artnet, Culture Magazine, Departures, and more. On TV show, on PBS, and she's curated exhibitions all over the world. Worked with a number of celebrities, including Sean Combs, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Tracy Anderson. And for several years now, Maria has taught her creativity course in companies and recently launched Jumpstart, which is her online program on creativity for entrepreneurs based on years of research and observation in both the areas of business and art. In this episode, she drops a lot of gems and we talk about all the things like how she was a lawyer for 10 years, how she got into the art world, how she gets to work with people of high net worth, what it means to be an art advisor and what that career path looks like and just so much more. I'm just going to go ahead and just jump right into the show. All right, Gangstar Creatives, I have an amazing guest today, someone different from my previous guest that I've had on the show, which is why I'm super excited to have Maria here with me today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Devonna, and hi, everybody. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and I really look forward to chatting and having fun and uh, demystifying a little bit of the starving artist lie that hurts everybody and it's not necessarily true <laughs> that's why we call it a myth and yes. uh, that's why we want to really demystify it because it's just bullshit you know and I'm not I'm not cool with bullshit much less if it hurts people obviously yeah I mean me neither so and I'm sure everybody listening is on the no bullshit train too so let's just start off with having you Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Maria? You know, take us on a little journey of where you started and how you got to where you are today. Ah, yes. Let me see if I can do that little journey because it's long. And so I live in New York City. I live in Manhattan. I have been living in this incredible city for over 22 years. And I I am born and raised in Venezuela and I moved to the States to go to Harvard Law School. And Amazing. I, I graduated and I moved to New York and I practiced as the corporate attorney and I hated it with all my might because, oh, yeah, I mean, it's like it took time to realize that I hated it because at the beginning, <laughs> in the beginning, you're making a whole lot of money and yeah. you have a lot of amazing things. And honestly, New York City 
is an incredible place that can chew you up and spit you out if you're not paying attention. But if you are paying attention, it's full of amazing opportunities and great things to do. And so I decided to put a lot of my attention in, into what it was for me, the experience of becoming a New Yorker at that time. Mm. And this was, you know, 20 something years ago. And so I started buying art for myself a uh, little by little because, you know, I had always a passion for art. When I was little, my parents would push me to go to museums with them, to go to performances, to travel. I mean, we were not rich, but we had a surplus that was always going for cultural activities or for trips. And yeah, and so that was like a very important practical training because people didn't have to tell me in a class, this is Picasso. I already knew how Picasso looked like, how his work looked like, because it was something that was very, very unique to my family. They wanted me to know about art history. They wanted me, but it, but forget about telling them that I wanted to be an artist or that I wanted to work as a fashion designer or as a singer, which is what I really wanted to be, was to be a singer and a performer because in my parents' ideas, that was for hookers or that was for like people who had no clue what they were doing, right? Like they were mm -hmm. like, in this house, you gotta be an attorney, you gotta be a doctor, you gotta be an engineer. And so you grew up with all that bullshit, which is true, it's, it's truthfully bullshit. And you end up buying the story. And, you know, I mean, I'm grateful for my past and I embrace everything as part of who I am because actually having a law degree from Harvard is not a joke and it's served me extremely well. But eventually I realized that I just didn't want to do that. And since I was in New York City and I was buying art for myself and I had already had so much of a practical training in the art world, even though I had never had a job in any gallery or auction house or anything, I decided I was going to quit my law practice, my law career. You know, after after nine yeah. years, I decided I was going to quit and I was going to leave all that behind and I was going to open my company, which is an art advisory. So that's what I did. I did that uh, 13 years ago. And so the, what does an art advisor do? I work with art collectors. And so these art collectors hire me so I can build their art collections according to their tastes, their uh, finance, it becomes an asset for them. It has to be rotated at times because some of my clients have more than 1000 art pieces. They lend them to museums. They are patrons of the arts and um, basically their eyes and ears because they can't really go to all the art fairs around the world. They can't really go to all the galleries. I mean, Manhattan alone has 1000 galleries. So, you know, if you think about how big and broad that is, imagine when you add that London, and Hong Kong and Seoul right. and Paris. So I am yeah. the eyes and the ears of these people. And, but because I have such a, you know, creative spirit and I'm always, I mean, my friends sometimes like say, well, it's kind of weird to say that you're creative, but at the same time, if you don't claim it for yourself, it's never going to be. So I am very obsessed with this concept of creative thinking because I, I was in the most uncreative field of all, which is, when you're an attorney in a big law firm, 
they train you to do things like a robot because you have to be yeah. efficient because you have to work long hours because there are manuals manuals for everything manuals of style the way that things are being said and whatnot yes I mean definitely they want you to react if there's something wrong and they want you to be proactive and in a way what they may think is creative but the truth is I was able to reinvent myself when I was uh, 32 years old in a way that had nothing to do with what I was doing. Mm. And when I was when I was getting my first clients in an industry where nobody knew, nobody really knew me in the art world. And I have never had to like go out and pitch my own self because I always worked for somebody else. So this was a whole- So you weren't like mingling in the art world like while you were- I was buying, I I was buying art, but it was just a very kind of like transactional thing because when when you're a lawyer, you don't have time to do anything, at least in New York City. And that is the (laughs) truth. If you work for a big law firm in New York, you don't have spare time. And weekends are unpredictable. You may be cold and, you know, you had to have your phone under your pillow because so- to build relation and listen, I still have friends who are now partners at that law firms and their lives are the same. I mean, like wow. they, they cancel plans with me. I barely even like, I mean, I love them, of course, but <laughs> right. I don't, I don't even believe when they say, let's go have a, you know, a lunch or <laughs> a coffee because I know that they won't show up. Bottom line is I was a, I, I didn't really have like a whole lot of relationships that, I mean, yes, I knew people, but it wasn't like everybody knew me because I wasn't every party shaking everybody's hands and kissing everybody's ass. That was not what I was doing because I couldn't have the time simply as that. I mean, I want it, but I couldn't. So when I decided to open the business, I, and I thought, well, I'm going to be really different. And I'm, because I had seen some art advisors out there in the world and and sub curators and honestly they were so boring and did you work with an art advisor yourself when you no, were collecting never oh, okay never but I did see them and so I was like okay if people are paying these people I mean like somebody's paying these folks for their services and these people are so you know boring and honestly like they <laughs> la- they they lack so much passion and creativity I think I can do a better job And so look, I mean, with a lot of faith and really, you know, what, what I have is that what I've always had, right? Like a lot of work ethics, which so many people lack today, honestly, I mean, Mm -hmm. I hate to say it, but like, that's like a joke of the past, like, oh, work, work ethics. What is that? Right. Like, but I had the work ethics of, of an attorney who would show up in my office every day at 10 and I wouldn't leave until midnight and I work every weekend and it was not my business, right? Like I had that kind of yeah. work ethics. And so if I can translate that to my own business, I'm going to win. This is, this is my internal thought, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I did that. And in the process, my clients, the clients that I was able to bring and recruit with my energy, with my charm, with my freshness, because I was different, you know, I, I was all about access. I was blogging. I was doing social media. You're going to say, Ooh, dude, everybody does that. No, folks. I'm talking about 13 years ago. Yeah, Instagram, that was the prime yeah, of Instagram blogging. Instagram does not <laughs> exist. Instagram yeah. did not exist. You know, the only thing that existed was Facebook and Twitter. 
and I was there and none of these other art advisors were there. A lot of the galleries were not even there because they didn't understand why they needed to be in social media or why they needed to have a blog or why they needed to have a voice. And I was there. So I build this business of freshness, of inviting instead of saying, well, let me put this curtain because it's Manhattan and this is the art world. And only if you have a million bucks, you can sit with us. No, that was not at all my take on things. My take on things was like, I'm going to explain you what's going on. I'm going to tell you why this is expensive, or I'm going to tell you why this is cheap, or I'm going to just like, I'm going to just make everything very accessible. And so when this clients started coming to me, and I started serving them, right, they asked me like, you know, let's say two years in, why don't you come to our company? Because my clients are CEOs of business. They are celebrities. They are, you know, I have a long, mm -hmm. a, a very wide range of clients. So they say, why don't you come to my company and tell us how you build your business and brand? Because it's a very interesting story coming from where you were at a law firm to what you're doing right now. So that I created a, a program for companies and for executives that was like, you know, it was two hours long, then it became a half a day, then it became a full day. And it was, um, you know, about creativity, creative thinking, thinking outside the box. And with time, I decided to turn that into an online program called Jumpstart. And after that, it was so successful with my online students that I turned it into a book. And that's the book that got published this year by Harper Collins. It's called How Creativity Rules the World. And I am so into this topic of creative thinking because I think it's the most important skill that any human being who is in business. And when I say business, I talk about business in a very broad sense. If you are an artist, you're in business. You're in the business of selling yourself and selling your art. If you are someone who's working in a company in whatever position and you want to grow and you want to climb the ladder, you're in the business of also being creative about yourself, of how you pitch yourself, how you, the things, the solutions that you present, the things that you do and how you do them, right? So we, in a way, if you have to make money to feed yourself, you are in business. This is the way I see it, right? And so when, after these 13 years of working hand in hand with galleries and, and you know, and artists and business people, I wanted to combine all this knowledge that I, I have gathered about your unique ability to come up with ideas of value. That's what creativity is for me, is your unique ability to come up with ideas of value that impact others at an, any level, art, or is it, you know, a solution that you bring to the world through a service or a product, or what do you do and what you do and how you do it? There is always a chance for you to do it more and more creatively so that you, uh, you know, I don't like the word competition because I feel that there is, there is a lot of abundance in the world to think that about yeah. competition, but how do you stand out in a world that feels that it's a little bit crowded, right? I mean, because we have so much noise that takes our attention. So there is social media noise, there is the news, there is TV, billboards and Netflix. And so there is a, lo a whole <laughs> lot of things that are keeping people's attentions diluted. And how do you stand out? 
to shine, you know, who you are and bring that light to the world is with creative thinking and creativity applied to what you do. So when it comes to artists, what is your like, do you have a specific process or blueprint or, you know, way of going about helping someone like an artist tap into their creativity and, you know, making a living off of it? Well, you know, the way that I help people is through my course or the book, because I don't work directly like there, the artists that I work with are always represented by galleries and it's the job mm-hmm. of the gallery to, because I'm not, I respect that kind of relationship and I know what, what I'm good at, if you know what I mean. So what I'm good at is working with clients. However, this course and book came to be because I feel that there is an expansion and an extension of what I'm doing that can benefit other people. And so those are very, they are, things are intertwined, but the very, they are very different. So what I, what I often find in my students is that they have all sorts of, I would say the limiting beliefs, right? And blocks of mm-hmm. what keeps them stuck, right? And so it's a lot of like, uh, you know, I don't know how to sell myself, for example, or I don't know how people are going to come to me. And usually this is, um, I mean, it's, this is a hang up of like literally 20 years ago because there has never been much access as it is right now to the world through social media as it yeah. is right now. This has never existed before, right? So what what I don't often say but I will say it in a podcast because it is a neutral place where, you know, I'm not talking to specifically certain people, but like a broad group of people is that not everybody should be an artist. Mm-hmm. And by, by this, I mean, creativity and artistic talent are two very different things. So if I want to be Beyonce, but I don't know how to sing like her, but I know how to dress like her or look like her. Maybe I can be a model. Maybe I can open my own shop that sells stuff that looks like Beyonce. But I don't necessarily have the artistic talent that she has, which is her voice because, or her piano playing skills or her, um, you know, mu- like music, like writing lyrics. That's That kind of thing is artistic talent that you can actually foster from childhood. You don't have to be born with it. So, so a lot of people are born with that, but you can foster it, right? And so sometimes people get, you know, to the age of whatever, 25, uh, and they are like, I'm an artist. And they start painting in front of a canvas and it just doesn't work, right? Because again, either you didn't foster it right and you didn't go to the right thing and you didn't do the schooling thing and you were not born with it, but that doesn't mean you're not creative because then you could do illustrations on a computer then. So you don't need to have the artistic talent in your hands the same way you do with an easel and pencils and brushes. So we have to be kind of mindful of our gifts and talents. And I think that is kind of like the biggest impediment for people to succeed is trying to fit their gifts and talents into the wrong space, if that makes sense, is trying to force something that it's not happening because you don't have that, you know, like it's, it's, you have two kids, 
and one of them is an incredible piano player. And the other one could, for the love of him, could never pick up an instrument. Seriously, he tried and it was just so bad, everything he tried to do with the instruments, but he's an amazing chef and he's little, I mean, he's 12 and he, but you know, he's just like incredible with like how he handles himself in the kitchen with utensils and the combinations that he makes with food and whatever. So both of them are sort of clear of what their talents are if you, you know, but if, if my little one who's a chef wanted to be a singer or a piano player, I would have to dissuade him that it's, it's going to be really difficult. And it's the same thing that happens with someone who says I'm an artist, but if you, everybody is creative and that is the truth. Everybody, too. everybody has their own way of doing things. Everybody mm -hmm. has an opportunity to bring something interesting to the world, whether it is humor or dance, words, poetry, you know, uh, marketing, and whatever it is, you know, even if you're a dentist, if you know what I mean, like yeah. you have creativity inside of you. And the part of the artistry, which I said before, not everybody should be an artist or not everybody should attempt to be an artist. The part of the artistry it's more that creative, you know, thinking and that that spirit that is within each one of us. It is our birthright to express the best that we have and the best that we have for the benefit of the world, not to hurt, not not with anger, not with division. Right. I mean, creativity is something positive. It's not like, yeah, some people can do horrible things in the world and they seem to be shrewd and they seem to be astute and whatever. But that is not really when we think about the word creativity comes from the word creator and like um, whether you believe in God or not, it goes back to that. Right. I mean, so and it's about good energy. It's about the energy that moves the, the universe, that moves the world forward is all these things that are inside of us that we can put out for the benefit of one people or two or a million. It just doesn't matter. As long as you're putting it out, as long as you're serving someone with it, that's more than enough to give you a push for more. I wanna dive a little bit deeper into your experience as an art advisor. Cause I know a lot of my listeners, they are artists and I'm sure maybe some people have thought about being like a curator or an advisor or working with someone who's an art advisor and curator. Um, how does, I guess my first question would be like, how does one even get into that type of career path? You've obviously, you know, you started as a younger, at a younger age, learning about the art world and, and all of that. And then you were collecting and then you ended up quitting and stepping into that. So what would you tell somebody who's like, man, I, I really have, you know, a passion for art and helping people, you know, um, building their art collection and wanting to create art shows and things like that. So what would you tell that person that's like wanting to kind of follow in your footsteps? Look, it's a lot of, this is a business of relationships to begin with, right? I mean, I think that to get to get it done and to build something, you've got to go out and be ready to introduce yourself and shake a lot of hands and say, I am an art advisor, here I am, or whatever. Listen, you might not have the confidence to start there, but you know, it is a business to build relationships because 
galleries sell to people they like and that they know. And if they don't know you, they don't like you, they are not going to sell you. And, and it's, the reason is very simple. The In the past five years, the demand for contemporary artists who are in galleries has grown probably tenfold. So there are more collectors than there are paintings to be sold, believe it or not. This has never happened in the history of recorded <laughs> art. You know, seriously, that's, yeah. we, we go back and we start thinking about the Renaissance, which is when people started signing and having patrons and things like that. This is 600 years. We have never had anything like this. So when, when anybody wants to say I'm an art advisor, you've got to go out and shake hands with the owners of the galleries. You also have to befriend artists. You have to have to, to kind of like put yourself in whole ecosystem. The art world is big, but at the same time, it's very small because we all talk to each other all the time. So mm -hmm. the second thing is you have to be extraordinarily careful with those relationships because there are a lot of ethics in place. Mm -hmm. You've got to be, you know, like um, obviously money is a big factor here and a lot of people enter into the business of collecting just to profit from an artist that's hot to yeah. we, we call it flipping right like I mean we we buy it at a price and then we flip yeah. it at auction for like x profit so that is a the, the the short path for an advisor to get burned and not have that gallery sell them anymore so you've got to be very very mm -hmm. careful of the people and sometimes it's not even it's not even the advisor's fault but it is that out of the eagerness to have a client or to serve a client, you end up making the wrong moves. So protecting the relationship is very important and knowing who you're associating with is very, very important, right? So do a lot of due diligence on your clients and make sure that you feel comfortable uh, with them, right? And look, I, I, I know this is going to sound woo, but it's like having to put the right energy out there brings a whole lot of good, right? And mm -hmm. so if if you are, yes, it's very important you get paid and I am all for the money, seriously. I mean, but it, it's got to get done in a, in a way that is right. And you've got to always be willing to go the extra mile because this is the business of services. And what I was saying before is work ethics will really do everything for you. And the bar is low. Right now in the United States, the bar for services is pretty low because people do not give a damn fuck. And, you know, pardon my French, because people are not trained enough to be working with high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals and very wealthy people. And those mm. people are ex extremely demanding, right? Hey Gangstars, sorry to interrupt, but I finally released several digital resources that you can download for free. I created a mural pricing guide, a painting pricing guide, and a few other gems to help you on your journey to becoming a thriving creative business owner. The link to download is in the show notes. And again, these resources are free. And I've already had so many of you reach out to me sharing how much these pricing guides and resources have been so helpful. So you're gonna wanna head over to my website and download them now. All right, let's get back to the show. So you've got to be good at answering your emails. You've got to be good at answering your texts. You've got to be good at being on top of like the transactions that you are 
facilitating. You gotta be on top of shipping. You gotta be on top of taxes. So those things are all part of a business. It is a business, right? So I tell if anybody wants to follow this path is first start being excellent at building relationships and being liked. You know, being liked is very important. And if you don't like to be surrounded by people, and sometimes you will have to kiss ass, and I hate to say, <laughs> but it is part of the game, man. I mean, I would be remiss if I don't say that. Sometimes you're yeah. going to have to kiss ass. And, and that doesn't mean you're less than. What it means is that there is an ecosystem. There is a game that has to be played. And at the end of the day, it's for your benefit. If you want to have those relationships, if you want to have the access, if you want to serve your clients. So it is really not that difficult, but for all the reasons that I said before, the bar has been low, but I think that the world is vast. And I think that there is always room for people do your own thing, show up in your own way. That's the other thing. Don't try it. I mean, I love flattery. You know, if somebody wants to copy me, fine. It's flattering, but at the same time, I am me. So nobody can be me if that makes sense. Right. So be your own thing. And that's the same for everybody, right? That's the same for you, Devona. It's the same thing for anybody who is on the path of becoming, you know, an artist with their own voice and their Mm -hmm. own style. So you do your thing. Inspiration is amazing. We're all inspired by Picasso. We're all inspired by Michelangelo or Da Vinci or Renoir or whatever. But those people already did their thing. The best thing that we can do is to take what they did and turn their things into our own. Yes, I totally agree with that. And in going into what you were talking about, like in as far as building relationships and kind of being that people person or kissing ass, as you said, do you have any tips for like tangible or tactical tips when it comes to actually like the networking and moving and shaking in the artwork and, sh- and wanting to shake, you know, those higher net worth, higher value people's hands? Like how did you build those relationships? Was there any, or is there an example that you can give where you have like this certain thing that you do that like keeps people in your, your circle happy or your clients happy, or when it comes to keeping those relationships alive and relevant? I think it's all about what you can do for them rather than what they can do for you. And that actually can be felt. And because nobody becomes a billionaire by being dumb. I just want you to get that part, right? Like those people have very fine raters for bullshit and for tricksters. They're not 100% immune, but they actually have a very, very big raider. So you have to have always this best benefit of them before thinking, what can I get out of them? And I don't know what it is, if it is a generational thing, but I get DMs on my Instagram daily help me i want to be famous <laughs> uh, how can i actually meet more people i want famous people to notice me and i'm like would you even say hello maria you know what i mean it's like <laughs> um it, it's it just doesn't make any sense anymore and and i think it's the informality that and i don't have a problem with social media i don't have a problem with being bold and dynamic and having this kind of like what I said before is 100% true. The barriers of entry are very low, 
for marketing and for being out there, right? But it's, I think that a lot of people have lost perspective, right? And it guess what? That, that type of relationship with like great people and people who are rich, or even they don't have to be rich, but they can be a connector for your next level. They, they remain very traditional, even if they are dancing on TikTok, because nobody wants to be approached and say, help me, I want to be famous, or, you know, can you just please repost my art? No, not even please. Can you repost my artwork and your like, they don't even know what I do or how I do it or why I post what I wow. post. So that means like there is a total lack of interest in me, but there is only an interest if I can help them, right? Yeah. And then you can you can be even a whole lot more subtle in that regard. But if people feel or sense that you can you're only looking to gain something out of them, it is going to be very difficult to build a business in this type of service, right? You don't necessarily have to love your clients all the time. And this I learned, I do love my clients for the most part, but if you end up not having the best client ever, you have your right to say, I have healthy boundaries and I don't want to serve these people anymore, but to do it with like kindness and elegance, right? Because remember, you will always need people in your life and the world goes round. So you never really know when you're going to find someone else. Cause that's, that's the important thing. You, we, you, we humans need each other to fulfill our, you know, our purpose. We just can't, we're not isolated entities. We need people. Right. But it's yeah. how, how you, you know, when I started my business, all I wanted to do was to serve people. It never really crossed my path. How do I work? for famous people or how can they make me famous it never really was the intention that was never part of the deal I knew that buying art is not for people who have no means right I mean buying art is a luxury so definitely I knew I was going to work with people who had the ability to pay for the art to pay for my fee to hire me etc cetera, etc cetera. but it never really crossed my path that I was getting something out of them. It, it crossed my path. My, my idea was always, how can I put my gifts and talents, my creativity, what I know about art, the relationships that I have been building out in the world for the greater good of these people who they need what I have, right? I, they they yeah. need. So I think flipping the equation it just, it's not necessarily something that crosses people's minds all the time, but I'm telling you, energy is like your reputation. It arrives first. It precedes you. So if you have all that you're thinking is how you're going to extract a benefit out of someone, I don't think that's going to go right. And I don't think it can be sustained. Was there a moment or I should say there probably was a moment, but was there a specific deal or show or client or I guess moment where you can mark and remember that you like, you felt successful and you were in your path to being a art advisor, curator um, after, you know, quitting your job as a lawyer and stepping into something totally new and building a whole new path for yourself. Was there a specific moment or person or deal that was just like, 
wow, like I, I, I'm doing this. I did this. Like, I'm glad that I made this shift and I can yeah. actually say that I'm I, proud of myself for making this decision. Yeah. Um, actually two there and they happened back to back. And this was, mm. I, I opened my business in 2009 and, uh, this, this, I, my business was November, 2009. And this was, uh, the first moment was the fall, actually September of 2011. Well, mm. it all sort of happened at the same time. So I don't remember the exact who was first, but I have a friend who told me I would like to introduce you to Gwyneth Paltrow. And that's I mean, cool. <laughs> that, that's that's very cool. And uh, I I highly respect Gwyneth. And uh, you know, I mean, when I was, she's not that much old. I mean, she's turning fifty, and I'm. 46 but when um I lived in Venezuela I watched her movies and I was like wow she's fucking incredible and so the fact that I was getting sort of closer to her was a very very mind-blowing moment but so she said I want to introduce you to Gwyneth because you know she has this new website where she features like cool people who do unusual things and at that time Goop was literally just like it wasn't a website sorry she said Gwyneth has a newsletter and I knew so it's not that oh I'm learning something no it was a newsletter <laughs> that came out on Thursdays called Goop and it was just that there was no website it was just a newsletter so lo and behold my friend introduced me to Gwyneth and I told her it was my pitch why like what I did and why I thought it was so important for people to collect art and why I thought it was important that it was affordable and accessible and that not everything was a million dollars listen again this was pre-instagram this was pre-websites that you could buy art on such like none yeah. of that existed right and and she was very kind of impressed with the whole thing and she said to me let me think how I can incorporate you in 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 my in my thing in my newsletter but that was let's say I don't know June and um the summer was coming up and she was traveling. So what I did is that I left a package with her doorman with some information about my business and, you know, like to solidify what I had already told her. And so months went by in September, I get this voicemail because I had missed the call and it was her saying, oh my God, I got what you sent me and I'm fascinated with your business. And I would love for you to write a whole piece for my newsletter. And so I did that and that really changed my life because when, when yeah. I said, as I'm telling you, it was, it was just sending an email that was very, very amazing because I, I was explaining what I did and I did it in a, in a, in a way that I had full control. I wrote the thing, right? So it was me explaining what I did, what I did and, and how people could collect art in a more affordable way and why this all, whole kind of halo of mystery was not such thing that you could go and walk into a gallery and ask for prices. And well, you know, if they looked at you weird, so be it. Don't take it personally. So I sent, she sent that out and, and it's like, really like, you have no idea. I mean, the emails and the people who contacted me and everything, it's sort of like, it put me on the map. And again, it was 
we're talking about 2011. It was a very different world. Yeah. People, people did not have all the resources and access to things. And so that was just, you know, one email she sent once a week. And because of that also, it was so much more, more much more special because now it's a, it's a website with e-commerce and products and five newsletters a week and this and that and podcasts. And so it's a very different story. So that was one of my pivotal moments. And at the same time, kind of a friend of mine, in LA said you're up there. she was following me on social media like it was just Facebook basically and and Twitter and she's like oh I'm very much excited about what you're doing and you know I heard from Pop Daddy that he wants to collect art can I introduce you to him <laughs> like I'm telling you that was like it was just such an important year of my life and I say yeah sure of course I will you know when you hear these things I, that, I think that was also very helpful for me it's not that I went and I put on like the makeup and the heels and I went out the street looking for Puff Daddy or Gwyneth is that I was very neutral about it because I didn't know it was going to happen or not. So I said, right. let me, I, I, you can't get excited. It's just until fun. it actually happens. But I, I, it it's like, I don't, I just, I was like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm going to meet with these people if it's meant to be. And if it's not, nothing's going to happen. My life will continue the same. Right. I mean, it's like, I will still eat. I will still buy things. I will still have my husband and my house and my children because it's fine. But if I meet them, it's a great thing. And if I don't, nothing has changed. So I didn't really put a lot of expectations into that. And then eventually, after many months of back and forth with assistants and managers, I got to meet Puff. And we have been working together for like 11 years because we started oh, wow. then and we still work together. And so that was a big moment for me where but both these two moments and all the other things in the universe that had to come together for me to meet Gwyneth and for me to meet Pav happened at this almost at the same time and mean a lot to me they meant and they mean but it was kind of a confirmation that I was in the very, very right path at that point, right? Because my business was like a year and a half old mm -hmm. and I was totally coming from the left field, as you know, and what I said before is absolutely right for this. Your energy, like your reputation will arrive way before you show up. So make sure those two things are aligned with who you want to be. Mm. Wow. That's so amazing. I always, that's like one of my favorite questions I love asking on my guests because it's so different for everybody. Some people feel like they're still, they still haven't had that moment, but just hearing those two stories, I mean, just in your first two years of business, I mean, most businesses fail within the first three years. So, I mean, you were on obviously the, the right path and I think that's really cool that you even had that opportunity and you still foster those relationships to this day. You said 11 years, um, yep. you've had yeah. that relationship, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that just is a, a testament to how you work and operate, you know, um, as an advisor, as somebody in the art scene. Um, and I think that that's really cool to hear in, in my show. I love to be transparent about like numbers and things like that. So could you share, if you don't mind what it looks like as far as like, um, the art advisor to artist relationship, like what the fee or percentage of like money wise that looks like. And then also as an art advisor, like what somebody of your caliber would charge in if there's different tiers, I guess, so to speak of different, you know, levels of art advisors in the world. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I um, unusually, as I said before, unusually, and this is very rarely, the transaction doesn't happen with me and the artists because I don't do that. I don't represent artists. Artists are represented by galleries that have physical spaces and show their work and have relationships with museums and with advisors like me and curators and so on and so forth. So, so you work with the gallery specifically that works with the artists that you have your eye on. But my work with the artists has happened. It's just that it's mm. a different type. I mean, they are grateful that I place the art in certain collections, but I have curated shows. And when I curate shows, I also have to go for the most part through the gallery because they are in an ecosystem that has to be respected. So I have to almost like borrow them, right? And, and so, or when I, when I have worked with other artists, I have done specific collaborations. I have worked with products that have my name and the name of the artist. I have written about them. I have, uh, uh, you know, I have put them in my creativity course. I have created content with them. I So my relationship with the artists, it's not that I represent them. That's not what I do. And I understand that this is not clear for people, but I think that once you understand that the gallery is the place that runs the show and that you know, all of us around that ecosystem are people who contribute to the success because the gallery cannot possibly have every client in the world. And I'm the one who brings certain clients who are my clients to that gallery. So the gallery is an also a, an obligation, a, an ethical obligation to not go directly to my client, right? So I'm like an agent for the clients, but I work also with artists in different capacities. It's just that the mm -hmm. big business of artists for the most part, is selling art in galleries, right? That's that's kind of the main business. Yes, they can license their work for to do notebooks or when they did it with me to do products that were high-end uh, accessories and things like that. But so my work is to, you know, be in the world of these galleries, but also obviously the, gal the, the, the artists know who I am and know what I do. So galleries take 50% Five zero of what the artwork value is. And I get paid by my clients directly at 10% of whatever they paid to the gallery. So if an artwork is $100,000, I get paid $10,000 by my clients. Mm. And on top of that, there is always a retainer at the beginning. Every one of my clients pays for a retainer agreement for a specific amount of time and hours because I can't work for free for anybody, not at this point. So I just can't give them access information and you know take them to galleries and take them to art fairs and yeah. not get paid, right? So I have to have a protection, which is a retainer agreement. That retainer agreement, it depends. Some clients pay 5,000 for 10 hours of work. Some clients pay 10,000 for uh, 10 hours of work, it depends, right? Because it's mm -hmm. all it's all about kind of trying to figure out what works best for those clients. Most of them stay with me for the longest time because they don't need to keep paying that retainer because they are already acquiring and buying and they are paying me a fee for procuring 
for negotiating, for actually getting, having the access. What I said before, the supply and demand is very asymmetrical right now. There is a whole lot more interest by collectors and institutions in certain artists than there is a supply of paintings. And that makes the access for these clients a whole lot more difficult if they are just like, oh, can I just have that artist? And the gallery is gonna say, but who are you? So if they come, the mm. clients hire me and say, well, this client comes with me and this is my client, not only vying for their seriousness, but also saying that they are the right custodians for this artwork to have, right? So that's kind of how this business of mine works. Mm. Well, I appreciate you sharing those numbers and being transparent with that because, you know, I, I find that in, in a lot of creative industries, especially in the art industry, a lot of people don't like to share those kind of numbers. And it's in those numbers or when people hear it, whether it's, you know, money is subjective, but, you know, somebody could be listening and never really thought about being an art advisor. And maybe they're just like, oh, I thought it was somebody that was like my agent, but now they know that that's not how it works. Or, you know, they didn't know that the percentages were what they are when the, they work with the gallery or how, you know, the art advisor gets paid. So I think that's so fascinating. Just, you know, I've learned so much um, just from hearing your answer in that. And I think it's cool that um, you were, you were very transparent in sharing that. Sure. Because there's nothing unusual or weird. I mean, like it's kind of common. I don't know. I mean, there are other advisors who work with retainer monthly. So they basically charge you 5,000, 10,000 bucks a month. And they also charge the commission and the retainer stays, stays, stays there forever. So these are mm -hmm. clients who are very happy to pay for extra services for, you know, and we offer that too in my business. If you want like consistent cataloging and you want to have like access to, you know, a specific person who's going to be your person for the shipping and the shipping is from Hong Kong to New York and you want to know exactly, the, you know, listen, there is everything under the sun in this business and people do things very differently and serve the, the there are way too many different clients and way too many different advisors. So that are my model is one model and it works for me and it's worked very well and it keeps giving so for other people it might be different right i mean you may be willing to negotiate your fees i really don't know many advisors who charge more than 10 percent. maybe some of them charge 20. i don't i mean i know this is industry standard and everybody does their tweaks that they need to do to their business mm, got it got it um and so when artists are, well, today, a lot of artists are not going down the traditional path of going into galleries. So I'm curious to know what your thoughts are for, of like your traditional artists that, you know, grows their career through the galleries versus the non-traditional artists of kind of just being self-represented and building their, um, their career, you know, the hype around their name, um, merely off of, social media um, mm -hmm. and some other things. What are your thoughts around that? Do you like respect either one more? Do you work with both in different industries? Um, just curious to hear what your thoughts are. I obviously I respect everyone. It's just I, I am not one to judge how people make their careers. I think it has to do more with the objectives of each, you know, person. So if you're an artist who want to be represented by a gallery, 
and you have a specific type of ambition, you're looking to be, to have like the gallery acting as your agent in front of, I, let's say you're the artist who wants to have museum shows. It's gonna be really hard if you just are there on your own. It's not impossible, but it's gonna be really hard to have the Whitney Museum show up at your doorstep and say, hey, we just really want you to have the have your work at the Whitney <laughs> Biennial. Yeah. It, it, it's, I'm not saying it's impossible. I just really wanna make sure that nothing is impossible, but it's very unlikely, right? So, but if you are, oh, listen, I'm an artist and I sell my stuff online and I have made two billion bucks a year and I, you know, brands are calling me for collaborations. Well, look, more power to you, more power to you, right? I mean, who am I to say nothing? And people are, you're bringing enjoyment to people who buy your work. You're also partnering with brands. You're doing stuff that is great for you and you don't have to split any of your profits and also you don't need to have anybody tell you what to do or when to have a show or how many paintings to produce or whatever it is all valid and it depends on the objectives right like they these are the objectives of life i mean there are authors that write books that they self-publish and they just are happy and they are making money with that and they are thrilled Mm -hmm. There are authors who, like me, were very happy to partner with HarperCollins. This is the second largest publishing house in the world because I wanted their distribution. I wanted their editors. I wanted the name. That's, but there's no, nothing wrong with the guy who self-publishes on Amazon and just uploads that, like, or, you know, or prints them in his basement. I don't see a problem with anything i mean we're in the time where things are very very fluid so this is all has to do with what you want to do with your life right and and there's absolutely nothing right or wrong with it there are many many ways of being an artist not because you choose one or the other that takes away from your artistry it's it's just very different ways of having a career for your book that you just came out with, How Creative Creativity Rules the World, how would you say your book benefits artists and creative business owners, specifically the gangster creative that's listening right now? Well, it was written from the standpoint of me, an entrepreneur who built a business from scratch by just thinking outside the box with not a whole lot of resources, right? Because it, it's it's not that I was poor. I just want to clarify that because I was an attorney and I had money that I built and I worked for myself. It's that I didn't really have a lot of connections. I didn't have a lot of experience, nor as someone in the art world. And neither as a business owner. So this book was written to show people that you can do what you're passionate about if you follow certain steps and rules, right? Mm. And it's a it's a book where obviously my biggest inspiration is art and artists to but it's all towards business. So it has the artistic angle but also showing the reader that there is no such thing as a starving artist because that is also a myth that has been perpetuated. And I don't know who did that, if it was the <laughs> patriarchy, I don't really know, but it's so wrong because being an artist is a very, very lucrative 
profession, particularly now, as I said before, we have never seen this amount of success and demand from collectors. And, and look, I mean, even in the world of NFTs, people can just hype things up and mm -hmm. make money, right? So whatever you want to believe, you're always going to be right. And I am I'm, I'm very um, I'm particular about that statement, because if you think and believe that you're going to fail and you're starving, that's going to be your reality. And if you're going to believe that you have what it takes and that you're successful and you actually respect your gifts and talents, and that's going back to what I said before, not everybody should be a painter. Not everybody should be an illustrator. That doesn't mean you don't have gifts and talents. That means maybe those are not necessarily your gifts and talents, right? Yeah. So, so what I'm trying to say is that the book is always sort of like aiming for the idea that you don't have, I mean, look, I don't understand also why we have so many hung-ups with money and why uh, it's almost like dirty to talk about money. And it's, but mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned, I live in New York City and this is the most expensive city in the world. So I better fucking come <laughs> up with the money to pay for my kid's school and my mortgage and my clothes and my fucking life, you know? And there's absolutely yeah. nothing wrong with that. I'm not stealing. I'm not killing. I'm just working honestly really very hard and I want everybody who's listening to be wealthy because listen that mm -hmm. actually is kind of like what do you want do you want to be poor and crying and just like being starving and struggling for the rest of your life or you want to be successful and wealthy and be able to help other people with your money and exactly. to put it out in circulation what is the what makes you feel better is it something that is pious and you know religious to say oh my god i'm so fucking broke what's what good good does that do to the world mm -hmm. i don't know i really don't and i i discourage people to be in that space and i get it that a lot of people have hang ups with money and they want to hate on the rich and whatever if that's your you know if that's the place where you are, I respect it, but I don't think it benefits anybody, much less if you are the one who's thinking those thoughts and feeling those feelings. And so it is my my greatest desire to bring um, a solid way to for people to come up with better ideas that can be monetizable. And so this book draws on science, on neuro neuroscience, psychology, economics, business principles, art history, contemporary art, my own experiences as a business owner. And I, I mean, if I, if I can say so myself, I think it's pretty good. It, it won the best business, um, international business book award. And, you know, it's just, it's been very well received. It, you know, it's, it's been on the charts of best-selling for, you know, so it's done really, really well because it's entertaining. It's not dry. It's not, it's not just business or just art. And at the end of the day, why I wrote this book is because I want to be useful to more people. And because I am in a, on a, the place that I have reached in my career, I think it is fair to share what I know. 
That's amazing. And everybody, her book's going to be linked in the show notes. Make sure you go get it. It's on my list of books to get after I finish reading the two that I have right now, but <laughs> I, everybody should get it again. It's going to be in the show notes. Um, Maria, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your wealth of knowledge with the Gangstar Creative audience. Um, do you have any last bits of parting advice? And is there anything new and exciting that um, my listeners can look forward to seeing from you? Well, look, I mean, it's, it's been, I think I've, we didn't leave anything uncovered here. I think we (laughs) just like, we basically gave it all. I, I really want to encourage people to dig into that part that I said, finding your gifts and talents and paying attention to your surroundings and going with conviction forward with what you do best and do not be afraid of tweak things you know that's the other thing nobody has to marry an idea if something doesn't work you have the right to change it as you go along businesses and as well as artistry they are all about evolution you don't want to be stuck you don't want to be like oh but this is what I think and because this is what I committed to, then I should go with this until the end of my life. No, I mean, we we are here to evolve. We're here to tweak. We're here to change. We're here to to make sure that we, you know, that we grow. And, and that means that you have to keep your eyes set on like what gives you joy and what gives you happiness. And being stuck is not really a place of happiness and joy. Love that. Love that. Anything new um, that they can look forward to that you will be sharing in the future? Um, Look, not necessarily. I mean, I've just curated a retrospective in a big museum in the Dominican Republic. And yeah, I mean, it it was in June and it was up until actually it'll be up until the end of August. I just came back from vacation. Like, you know, it's the summertime. Mm -hmm. I'm just really working with my clients and serving them with you know, a lot of care and love. And, uh, you know, my course remains open, is evergreen. We meet once a month. So that's, if you go to my website, mariabrito.com, there is a link there that takes you straight to to the to jumpstart my online course. And uh, we have an amazing community of people. We meet once a month, but the modules are there online for everybody to, you know, if they end up, buying it you know they they have access to incredible resources and so that's kind of like where I am right now it's just working really hard and I have a lot of uh, also speaking engagements in different places coming forward and so I mean I'm I'm just very happy where I am right now I love it just doing it all as you should and I love that you are giving back to the world and especially the the art and creative community um, because someone like you with your experience and expertise. Um, it, it's, it's so valuable. So uh, th- thank you for doing that. And again, I thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you. And thanks to all the, uh, the gang who's listening. I very much appreciate you and that you hung out with us until now. That's great. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, listen to a couple more episodes and share it with a fellow Gangstar creative. I would also be forever grateful if you left a review letting me know what you loved and what you'd like to hear more of. And as a thank you for leaving me a review, I'll gift you both my 10 ways to create a Gangstar brand PDF and 5 ways to boost your online sales PDF. 
Just screenshot your review and DM me the picture on Instagram at Devonna Stimson and I'll send it right over to you. Until next time, cheers to annihilating the status quo of the starving artist.